Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. Glad that you chose to worship with us today. If you want to open up your Bibles or turn on your Bible or download your Bible, Luke chapter 2 is where we'll start and where we'll end today. We'll take a trip back 700 years to Isaiah chapter 9 and then ahead 90 years from Luke chapter 2 to 1 John chapter 4 and we'll land back in the gospel of Luke. And that might seem like a lot of traveling around. There's a reason why. My assignment for today is to look into the Christmas narrative, the Christmas story as recorded by two of the four gospel writers. They write it as historical account, that this is what happened. They gathered their information from eyewitnesses and people who were there to experience it so they could corroborate it all. They write it to us as history. And the assignment for today is that this is the third Sunday of Advent, and we're talking about love, the love of God, specifically the love of God and how the birth of Jesus reveals or demonstrates what the love of God is like. And there's a couple challenges. There's two main challenges I have. First challenge I have is that when I say we're going to talk about the love of God today, if a lot of us were honest, that title doesn't move our heart at all. It doesn't move the needle of our heart at all. Because for those of us who are Christians, that term has been used so often and so frequently, it's embedded in almost all of our Christmas carols. We talk about it, we wear shirts about it, bumper stickers, we put it on posters, but it doesn't do, it's almost so familiar in a term that we've become neutral to what the love of God actually is. And so one of my challenges today is to try to reintroduce to some of us and introduce to others of us the extravagant, unrelenting, life-transforming love of God for you. So that's one of the challenges that I have this morning. The other challenge is that um, I'm looking, I started my search on how to teach about God's love in the Gospels, where the story of Christmas is recorded. Now, it's only recorded in two of the four Gospels. Do any of you know which of the two of the four Gospels include the story of Jesus' birth? Matthew and Luke is the other one. Neither the Gospel of Mark nor the Gospel of John record this story. So I went into Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, which begins in the beginning of the gospel of Matthew and ends just a couple chapters in. I did the same thing in Luke and I read through the story highlighter in hand and I thought this will be easy. I'll just go into the Christmas story. I'll find every time one of the gospel writers mentions love and I'll highlight those verses and then I'll go back and study those verses and that will help me bring out to the church on Sunday during Christmas about how the birth of Jesus is a love story. Here's the problem that I ran into right out of the gate. Do you know what the problem is? The word love is never mentioned in either of the gospel writer's account of Jesus' birth. Not in there at all. That's a problem for a preacher. Where it should be, should be. Now, if you're a preacher that reads things into the stories, that's easy. You just, you just read it in there. I don't do that. I'm like, whew, okay. And I'm like, okay, maybe I need to look at the characters. And all the different places you might expect to find love in the story Neither of the gospel writers really draw it out. You might think, well, maybe it's a love story about a husband and wife, but that's not really the relationship of Joseph and Mary. And there's no mention of like, oh, there was this tender moment where they looked lovingly into one another's, li- one another's eyes. And 
there's no romance really in the story. It's kind of scandalous. <laughs> what about what about when Mary holds the baby Jesus? And I know we've got some pretty cool Christmas songs written about what that might have been like, but neither of the gospel writers write about any tender moments between Mary and Jesus or Mary and Joseph. There's no tenderness and love in the neighborhood surrounding where Jesus was born, right? You've got this poor, poverty-stricken family very much in labor, looking for some type of shelter or warmth to give birth to their baby, and that's not enough to move the needle in the hearts of anybody in the city. You might expect to see it in, maybe in the interaction between them, you know, later on, maybe in the Magi and, and the government. Maybe the government was really excited about this baby and wants it. No, they want to kill him. The word love doesn't show up in the story, so I had to very quickly be like, maybe this is a mistake. We need to change the third advent candle because maybe this, maybe Christmas isn't a love story. Maybe it's a story of peace, story of joy, story of hope, a lot of other stories. Maybe it's not a love story. But other authors in the Bible who write about the birth of Jesus would disagree. Isaiah and John both say this is a love story. In fact, it is the love story. It is, John goes as far as saying, this is exactly what real love looks like. And you say, okay, show me the picture. And he says, all right, look at Christmas. And so for us to understand where love is in the story, you have to know where to look. And then once you see it, it's like going the second time through a Where's Waldo book. You can't unsee it. You'll always see it. So the initial challenge that I had was where do I find love? in the Christmas story when the first two people who wrote about it in detail don't show us where the love is. The good news is that the rest of the Bible is an awesome commentary on that. I also knew that it might not be an attractive topic. It might be an eye roll, like, okay, another sermon on the love of God. And that's probably the problem with us. It's that if we don't know what God's love is, then we don't know how to appreciate it because we have an experience. And if we, do, if we do know what God's love is, why doesn't it warm our hearts anymore? Because here's my guess. If you've ever experienced the love of God, didn't it do something to you? Didn't it do something in you? The love of God melts us and then it molds us. The love of God breaks us and then it, puts us back together. The love of God fills us. It fixes us. It changes us. It changes us forever. There is nothing like God's love. I don't believe that all love is God's love because the Bible differentiates between love and God's love. There's a love that we humans can produce and experience, and it's very real, but it's different than God's love. God's love is different from other love. The final challenge I have this morning is that I have three points to describe God's love to you. Three sentences. You know that that's not possible. It's like saying, you know, pastor, describe color to someone using only three crayons. And even in those huge Crayola boxes, freshly sharpened, brand new, like the 256 Crayola crayons, you can't tell the whole story of color by just picking three crayons. 
Now, the truth is you can't tell the story of color without those three crayons, but the story is so much more than those three crayons. It's just not less than those three crayons. So this morning, we're really just taking three crayons and saying, let's, let's talk about God's love and how we see it at Christmas. And so please take a little pressure off of me this morning and that I can't use all 256 crayons. 256 wouldn't be enough. But I will tell you that there is these three crayons that will draw out of this story, these three statements at Christmas. You can't understand God's love without them. It is so much more than them. But these three will give you a great baseline understanding of who God is, what his love is, and where we see it at Christmas. So with that in mind, let me give you the big idea. Here's the big idea. The big idea is that this is how Christmas, the Christmas story reveals to us God's love. It reveals to us how God's love was given to us, how God's love was born unto us, and how God's love was sent to us through the birth of Jesus. Three different phrases, one used by Isaiah, one recorded by Luke, who quotes the angel of the Lord, and one written by John the Apostle in the the end of the New Testament. Three different phrases they use to describe God's love through Jesus. God's love was given, God's love was sent, God's love was born. Given, born, and sent. All those words are used to describe Jesus's physical birth and his arrival at Christmas. So let's start off in Luke chapter two, verses eight through 12 to get a baseline understanding of the nucleus of the story. Then we'll go back 700 years to see what Isaiah predicted about Jesus's birth and what that shows us about about love. We'll go ahead to 90 AD-ish to when the gospel of, uh, to when John the apostle writes 1 John and look what he says looking back at Christmas and then we'll conclude, we'll make a full circle. We'll go back into what the angel says. Luke chapter two, verses eight through 12. We actually sang this this morning. We started off with this today. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, right? We sang the first Noel today, right? Some of you weren't here, we sang it, okay? I was asking Keith in the first service, I said it did, for the first time in a long time, I was really thinking through the theology as we sang, I was like, was there a second Noel or a third? The other thing is like, in, uh, what's the song say? In, in fields where they do, in fields where they do what? L- lay, keeping their sheep. Does the carol writer think the shepherds were laying down, sleeping on the job, keeping their sheep? And I was like, that's, it seems to suggest to me that the shepherds were just laying around on the job, whereas the gospel writer says that they were actively watching their sheep. I don't know. I don't know if the hymn writer thinks that, you know, this was the angel of the Lord blowing the whistle on them not doing their job. They were sleeping. The angel says, hey, wake up. And that's why they were scared. I don't know. Um, but you can think about that probably never again after this sermon. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I know you're thinking, Pastor, you're not doing your homework. This is the third week in the row you've used this passage. Just kind of happened that way this year. Angel of the Lord appeared. Angels were messengers. Angel was given a script. Um, I do realize that at times angels ran rogue. This is not one of them. The angel of the Lord, from the Lord, appears to the shepherds with a specific message to send them from heaven. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Verse 10. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. Why does the angel start with that? Because they're afraid. Now, let me just ask you, is that usually effective? (laughs) You got a kid that's just scared and they're looking at you, dad, I'm afraid. Well, don't be. 
Oh, okay. Oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I'm done. I was like, just turn the switch off. Well, this is what the angel says. Don't be afraid. Why? I'm not here to zap you. Because sometimes when angels showed up in the bad, you know, in the Old Testament and, you know, you were a Jew and you kind of knew that sometimes when the angel shows up, not good things are going down. The angel says, I'm bringing you good news today. That will cause great joy for all the people. That was last week's sermon on joy. Today, in the town of David, a, this is an important word, a who? Doesn't say a baby, says a savior. Savior was a baby, but make sure that they understand. Here's the good news. Now watch this, because our story of Christmas is a little cozier and warmer than maybe it actually was. Here's what the angel says. Here's the good news. What you really need has been born to you today. You need a savior because guess what? You're hopeless. Hopeless. Why else would they need a savior if they could save themselves? First thing the angel is saying is basically, you're hopeless and helpless and you need to be saved or else you're doomed. But guess what? Good news. Savior's here. The savior has been born to you. That's a really weird way to announce the birth of a child when you're at work. Guess what? I'm a baby has been born to you. I don't know about the baby. That would change your day pretty much if you were a dude at work. He is the Messiah, the Lord, verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So that's our central text. And you're like, what does that have to do with love? The answer is absolutely everything. Let me show you. Give you three statements, three crayons, if you will, to help understand God's love and how Christmas reveals it to us. Number one, God gave, God gave, God gave Jesus to us as a gift. Well, why? He was motivated by love, not leverage. God gave Jesus to us as a gift, motivated by love, not leverage. How do you know? Let's go back 700 years to when Isaiah the prophet predicted some things about the birth of Jesus that would unfold later in time. The words of Isaiah 9, 6 might be familiar to you. It's part of the actual words of Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus. Let me read them to you. I won't sing them to you because I don't want you to run out of here screaming. For us, for to us, a child is born. These are the next words I want you to see. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah wants you and I to see something. He's saying, when this child is born, when Messiah arrives, he will be given, given. God gave us Jesus. He gave him. That's not good parenting. In our world, I love our two boys. Even on their worst day, I'm not giving them away. Sure, if mother-in-law and father-in-law say, hey, can we come pick up the boys for a while and give you a break? Absolutely. But bring them back. We do not look highly upon any mom or dad who give their children away. That's an arrestable offense, as well it should be. That's bad parenting, that's abandonment, that's a dereliction of duty. This is not what God did. God is not a father who abandons his son. He wasn't tired of Jesus, kicks him out of heaven. God gave him to us as a gift. You cannot separate God's love 
from God's giving. Probably the most familiar verse in the Bible that many of you have memorized, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave. You can't separate love and giving from God. You want to take one of these crayons and understand God's love is demonstrated in giving gifts. It's not a quantity of love. It's a quality of God's love that's being captured in John 3.16. The way God loves requires him to give gifts. Now, here's where we need to pause for you to see this. I think our understanding of gifts is very different from what the Bible teaches a gift is. Because in our world, I'm about to ruin Christmas for some of you, I don't mean to. Our world, gifts are different from exchanges. Here's what an exchange is. An exchange is where I give something, but I also receive something in exchange. And yet we've come up with this term gift exchange. A gift is something given willfully, willingly, entirely based upon the character of the giver, having nothing to do with the deservedness of the receiver, and the giver expects nothing in return. That's what a gift is. So what in the world is this thing we call a gift exchange? It's just the way we, we manipulated things to make sure it's all fair the whole way around. You might not be this person, but I promise you there's somebody in your family or somebody at your office that is the gift exchange police. We have all these kinds of rules. Hey, we're going to swap names. We're going to secret Santa around the holidays. You're going to draw a name. Whether you like the person or not, you have to give them gifts of a certain amount, no more, no less, and you'll get a gift of no more, no less back from them. What are we really doing here? We are forcing our feelings into giving not gifts, but exchanges. This is why people buy gift cards now. They want proof that they spent that much money. And my thing is like, okay, why don't we just all keep the $25 in our pocket and just call it a Christmas, right? But it's warped in the way that we think. We don't know what gifts are except by exchange. Trust me, there may be in somebody, there may be people and there might be a person in your life today that your relationship is damaged over something like this. It creates entitlement, it takes appreciation away, and it has everything to do with earning, deservedness, fairness, rules, monitoring, receipts. Nothing could be further from what God did at Christmas. Jesus was given by God as a gift, not as a response, not as an exchange. He gave Jesus regardless of whether or not you asked for him, whether or not you'd ever want him, whether or not you'd ever open the gift, and whether or not you'd ever respond positively. He gave him. His son, he gave him as a gift. Why? Because he loved you, and there's something about God's love that's revealed in how he gives. This was not an exchange. Here's how it warps our mind, though. Our six-year-old, my wife and I's six-year-old, recently asked my wife in the kitchen, in a moment of not his best, 
he said the following. How many of my gifts have I lost because of my bad behavior? Oh yeah, you feel sorry for him now. And it kind of, I could tell she was kind of considering how to answer and he, he doubled down. It's like, how can I still earn all three of my Christmas presents? And I did something I don't usually do. It's because I've learned this in wisdom over 25 years. I actually spoke up on her behalf. That's a very rare moment. Uh, gentlemen, tread carefully when you try and do that. When you speak on your wife's behalf, you better be 100% right 100% of the time. But I felt like in that moment, I had something to say of value. And I said, hey, hey buddy, um, in our house, gifts aren't earned. Gifts are given. And he was just like, awesome. So there's nothing that I can do <laughs> to lose my Christmas presents. And, like, and then my wife just looked like, go ahead, preacher. Now you got yourself into it. <laughs> so then I had to go down the trail of gifts are given, not earned. But privileges are a different story. He didn't get it. He was totally confused by the end of the story. And I thought, well, maybe I can salvage it with a sermon illustration. But you understand how our warped thinking says, and listen, you know what it does? It got into my heart as a parent. And I thought, why am I really giving them gifts at Christmas? Is, it simp is there a part of it that says, I can leverage this unknown gift for behavior modification up until Christmas? It, well, sometimes it works. The order they get, it doesn't. But sometimes, listen, I'm, it used to be, listen, I'm going to write an email to Santa right now. No, I'll brush my teeth twice. Well, you get in there. But we don't grow out of that idea. There is a part of our flesh that when we demonstrate love our way, gifts aren't always really gifts. They're sometimes leverage. They're sometimes other than what they see. And when we give that gift, there is still an expectation that they at least say thank you within a certain amount of time, whether written or in person. That there's maybe sometimes a difference of behavior towards you. How dare they? After all I've done for you and all I've given for you, how dare you? Or maybe it's something simple as Christmas or birthday. It's something we can hold over someone's head or a bonus or something. You can just say, I'm going to give them something, but I'm going to use it as leverage to get them to behave a certain way back to me. And really, it's not about the gift. It's about how you need to feel, the control you need to have, the power you need to have, and something that might have some love mixed into it also has some other things. And it gets into the minds of our little kids. Did my bad behavior cost me my gift? Well, it might cost you some privileges privilege of opening gifts but your gift I don't want my boys grow up thinking gifts are dependent upon performance because the gift I need from God I can't earn what Isaiah wants us to see is that Christmas includes God giving us a son it's given not as an exchange but it's given why what would motivate God to gift us Jesus, love. Love. One of the ways you know that you're operating in God's love is this illogical desire to give and something that costs you, that inconveniences you extravagantly to someone or some people, whether or not they deserve it, regardless of its ever repaid, 
simply because of your character and your desire to love them that way. That's not normal in the love that humans produce, but it's who God is, and it's how God gives. God didn't use that love as leverage. Well, now I can hold this over your head. How do you know? Well, look at Jesus. If you, Jesus said, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen my dad. Look at how Jesus loved people. He didn't love but whether people deserved it or not or earned it. He didn't love people based on their character. He didn't love people to try and change them, manipulate them, or control them. He just loved and loved and loved and let them respond. So one of the crayons of love that true love is given as a gift and it's never used as leverage. Second thing we see at Christmas about love is that God sent Jesus. Jesus was given. Jesus was also sent. God sent Jesus to demonstrate as an example to show how God loves and specifically how God loves first so we can learn to do the same. Where do you see that? Other part of the Bible, near the very, very end, 1 John. The gospel writer John, in his gospel, didn't include the story of Jesus' birth. But at the end of his life, as he's writing his final letters, he does very specifically write a commentary on the birth of Jesus. And he uses the scene that we read in Luke 2 as his absolute, quintessential, penultimate picture of what God's love looks like. It's almost as if he was being asked, John, I don't understand God's love. He's invisible. What does it look like? Could you paint a picture? He says, absolutely look at Christmas. Let me prove it to you. Let me read to you John's words, not mine. 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In other words, he's saying love isn't just something that God does. Love is something that God is. Verse 9 is where I want to draw your attention. God showed how much. How much does Jesus love me? This much, this much, this much. Here's what John says to answer. God showed how much he loved us by, what's the verb? By what? By sending. John says, you want to know how much God loves you? Look at who he sent. Look at the sending. Look at the giving. Look at the sending. He sent his one and only son into the world. How do we know how much God loves us? John says, look at him sending the event where he sent his one and only son into the world. What event records the one and only son being sent into the world? What event? Christmas. John's pointing you right back and saying, this is what love looks like. It looks like him sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. He's gonna say, all right, here's what real love is. Well, if there's real love, then there's other varieties of love. And he says, here's a differentiator between God's love and all other love. Here's real love. Not that we loved God first. We had a crush on him. He was mad at us. We wore him down. He gave in. No, 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 no. Here's real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he doubles down. There's another word. And he sent his son 
as a little baby to hug us and coddle us and love us. And that's not what it says. And here's a less warm and fuzzy view of what began at Christmas. He sent his son as a sacrifice. That doesn't sound Christmassy. That sounds a little gory, a little bloody, a little violent. Yeah. He sent him as a sacrifice. Not as a little present to pat us on the head and say, here you go, you bad children. Have a nice gift, and now you can love me because of that. I'm going to win you. No. He sent him as a sacrifice to take away our sins, verse 11. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. Where do we see love at Christmas? God gave Jesus. Second way we see it is God sent Jesus. That's an important verb. John uses it twice. There is a difference between me going to the store and being sent to the store. Anybody understand that? Yeah? When I go to the store, which is rare, because when I have time to do something on my own, it's rare. And if I want to, in that rare moment where I can do something that I want to do, I generally don't go into a store and just walk around. Some of you, that is like the best day ever. For me, that's like, why bother? But every now and again, I say, you know, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to go. I'm not sent. I'm going to go. I choose on my own. I look around and say, you know what? I think we're low on a few things, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go. And I, I'm the guy that goes in, and I always have a list. If I don't have a list, I don't go. Shopping is a search and recover thing for me, not recreation. All right? Some of you are feeling me. Others are like, you are sick. So when I go into the grocery store, when I just go, just go in there, I have an idea of what I need. Every now and again, they don't have what I need. Or more likely, the place I think the thing that I need ought to be, it's not there. And I'm a guy. If the thing I think I need is not where I think it ought to be, I'm not asking anybody. I'm just going to conclude, listen, this store doesn't know what they're doing. It's obviously not in the store, or they would have put the thing exactly where I thought it ought to be, and it's not there, therefore they don't have it. And I either adjust on the fly or I just keep going. No big deal. Get the things, go home. Totally different experience when my wife says, I need you to go to the store and get for me a very specific type of pumpkin pie spice seasoning. Yes, ma'am. That's a whole different idea when I'm sent versus when, when I am sent, this is different. There is purpose, there is forethought, there is a mission. This is a pass-fail mission. I go into that store, and I'm going to start where I think the pumpkin pie spice ought to be, and if it's not there, I'm asking everybody. I am looking up and down. I am finding anybody with a uniform on or someone who looks like they've baked before. I'm asking, where is the pumpkin pie spice seasoning? And most people have pity. Your wife sent you, didn't you? Yes, ma'am, she did. Where did you look already? I looked here. I looked there. Oh, it's over here. And then I pick it up and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This doesn't look like the brand that she specified. I've, listen, I've learned this is not a judgment call. This is a text message. It is, babe, here's a picture. Is this what you need? And if it's no Next door. You're feeling me. Like, look, it's not like, you know what, babe? I'm so sorry. It's like, I listen, I am not coming home without it. This cannot be, even if it's the easier way out, the cup cannot pass for me. I have to find the pumpkin pie spice because I have been sent. I didn't just go. 
I was sent, which meant there was a sender, there is a mission, there's an intention. This is not some random walk through the store and if you, if you happen to get a good deal, great, but if not, abort, abort, abort. This is, no, I have been sent on a mission to accomplish. Twice, John says, you wanna see what love is? Look at God sending Jesus at Christmas. And so for a moment, it's not just about a baby and claws and a manger and stars or asteroids or comets or whatever they were. It's not just, it's about why did God send Jesus at Christmas and how does that show me love? And for sake of time, the Bible will answer that question for us. Jesus was sent to the store, not to the store, to the earth, not for pumpkin pie spice. You know what his mission was? Correct, correct. Okay. Save us, redeem, sacrifice, correct. Bible's a little more graphic. I know you don't want to say it because it's Christmas, but the Bible tells us exactly why he was sent. Here was his mission, to die. Merry Christmas. The message of the love of God of Christmas is not as follows. It's not that God was so lonely, a little depressed, a little introverted. Poor, sad, lonely God was missing out on warm, fuzzy, loving little us. And we kept knocking on heaven's door and knock. Who sings it? Knock, knock, knocking on. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's free. Bob, Robert Dillon, there you go. Rob, I know him as Robert, you know him as Bob. It's not that we just somehow wore God down and said, God, we'll be your friends. And then God gave in and sent beautiful, shiny little baby, blemish-free, who was placed in a manger and no crying he made. And he sent Jesus into the world to pat you on the head and tell you how good you are and that your life's just a little incomplete. And he just wants to love you. You're not so bad, but he loves you so much. And he just came to tell you how good you, you're just missing out on this little part and you could have it. The story of Christmas is that God sent his son into our broken, filthy, sin-filled world, not because we asked, but because we needed him. He sent him not to sweet little kind us who have just had a few boo-boos and a few mistakes. He sent him to people like you and me who don't want a God to tell us what to do, who want to live the lives the way that we want to, thank you very much, and don't want a God as he is. We want him as we think he ought to be. We want him to sanctify and endorse our worldview. We want a God who agrees. That's what we think. Love, we think today, is just that you agree with me. If you love me, real love is you just agree with me. You endorse me, you accept me, you affirm me. That's what love is. And anything other than that is not love. Well, let me, let me just let you in on something. God doesn't accept or endorse everything about us. All have sinned. That's not an endorsement. That's saying we're all broken. God sent Jesus into the world not to hug you and wrap a little blankie around you and tell you how good you are. He sent him into the world to live the life we should have lived, but we haven't. To die to de the death that we deserve to die and to be raised from the dead in order to defeat sin so that we can have a relationship with God. That's what he was sent to die. There is no death of Jesus without a birth of Jesus. 
and there is no death, if he got to the store and said, you know what, this is too hard, they're not accepting me, they're treating me really lousy, this is really hurt and painful, I just want to go home. And Jesus had that option, didn't he? Didn't he? Garden, second garden, right? First Adam went in the first garden and said, not your will, but my be done. The second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus goes into another garden just before the cross, and he says, not my will, but yours be done. He, why? He was sent. He was sent. Every presence has a two, has, you know, most presents anymore have a to and a from tag on them. When, the, when it is sent, there is a sender and a receiver. Jesus was sent to us at Christmas to die for us. Why? Because God loves. Because he loves. That is a reckless kind of love. I love all of you. No way would I give either one of my son's lives for you. Sorry. No way. No way. That was God. God didn't even give his son just for your life. He just gave his son for the possibility that you could have life. Knowing full well that some of us would be like, nope, not for me. No thanks. And yet he gave. First. The firstness. See, that's another crayon of love. Love is something that you give, whether or not it ever comes back. And love is something you give not as a response, but as an initiative. You give first. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mountain, talks very specifically about this. He says, if you want to love like my dad and I love, you got to love first. There's some people in your life that are easy to love, aren't there? Easy to love. They treat you right. They're respectful. They're generous. They're, they're obedient. They make you feel more warm and fun. They don't drain your tank. Then there's other people, hard to love. They chew with their mouth open all the time. Hard to love them. They're always in front of you in line, taking way too long. There's a joker at the Walgreens the other day. I'm in there picking up a package that I had, you know, FedEx had taken at Walgreens, and there's a I knew that there was such a thing as a Karen. I was told that there's also a thing called a Kevin. I met one. Joker was at the cash register just letting the poor 18-year-old young man have it. At one point, he says, does it make you feel big? Does it make you feel in control that you can't refund my money? You, let me ask you a question. You want to be a manager? You'll never be a manager. I've been a manager before of a retail store. Maybe, he says, maybe if you just refund my money, you wouldn't be making a big scene in this store. And the lady behind me says, says I just said, wow. And the lady behind me says, yeah, if you've ever seen a Karen, that's a Kevin. I'm like, okay, I have now seen one in the wild. There were no loving feelings in my heart for that joker. None, not a one. I wanted to love him with the love of Jesus myself. But here's what Jesus says. You want to love like I love? John said, if you, if, if you, when you recognize that the love that God has for you was totally not earned, we totally don't deserve it, and yet it's the most extravagant, radical, and you let that inform you of your value, it will melt you. It will melt you. It will melt you. 
And John goes a step further. He says, when you let that love melt you and fill you, one of the outlets you have is now for others because what it does is it fills you with something that doesn't belong to you that you're allowed to give away as if it belonged to you. Well, how do I, how do I love others like God love? Okay, the person you love the least, that's where you need to start. Pastor, could I have another option? No. I'm not gonna tell you how to force your feelings. I'm gonna give you one step today. This is the last part of this crayon, then we'll move on. And this is Jesus's, it's not advice, it's truth. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Merry Christmas. They don't even need to know they're your enemies, you just need to know. Where do I start? Pray for them. Pastor, got it. I pray every day, Lord, get them, get them good. Get them now. Use me if you'd like. I volunteer. May they get stuck at every traffic light. May you expose their hideous behavior. May people throw coffee on them. May they not get what they want. May they just have misery and gloom and get fired and get them. Not the kind of prayer that no, though, I mean, there's a place where I'm David prayed some imprecatory. Some of David's prayers are pretty rough. I'm not looking forward to getting to the book of Psalms because there's one where, it's, you know, may the, may the heads of my enemy's children be smashed against the stones. That's a good Sunday morning message. We'd be packed out when I have to tackle that one. Um, here's the prayers. You start learning to love others the way God loves you when you love them First, which means you don't wait for them to come and apologize before you show kindness. You don't wait for them to make the first move of making things right with you. You take a loving step towards them. And a simple private start is in your prayers for them That's, that are changed from God, get them, get them now, and if you don't get them by tomorrow, I'm on it. It changes to Lord put softness in my heart towards them where it's appropriate. God, grow them. Bless them. Show them your love. It is impossible to take an unwarranted, undeserved, loving step towards someone without a tiny little root of love growing up in your heart for their interests. It's impossible. Because at the very least, you're saying, I really want God to get them, but I also want to know my prayers work. And you start not only rooting for bad things to happen, you start having this little root of love that's growing up in your heart where previously there was no evidence of love. And you start there. You start praying God's best over their life. Pastor, that is not natural. Totally agree. It's supernatural. You're gonna have to let it come that way. Good news, Paul says, Holy Spirit will help you pray when you don't know how. We'll help you. How do I know I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus? When I locate and identify love in my heart for someone where previously there was none, John says, this is how we know we're in Christ. At Christmas, God demonstrated. John says, he demonstrated. He gave you an example he expects us to follow. 
He demonstrated that love is given. His love was sent. And finally, probably the weirdest one out of all of them to me, but perhaps the most beautiful. Let's get the, <laughs> there we go. Final page. Jesus was born physically. He was physically born unto us so we could be spiritually born into him. He was physically born unto us. If you want to dig into this later and really impress your friends, how God became flesh and how he was the God-man and the man-man and you know, the God-man became the flesh-man. It's called the hypostatic union and you can really dig deep into that. I just wanted to let you know that I know what that term is. Um, I put more in your study guide, but I won't, I'm resisting the urge to deep dive into that today. But why was he born? He was born physically to us so we could be spiritually reborn into him. Well, how do we know that that's part of the Christmas story and how does that show love? Let's go back to Luke chapter two. The shepherds, whether they were laying in the fields or living in the fields, you know, I'm gonna go with Luke over the, the carol writer, but, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Here's the good news. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. You're all dads. Savior's been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, 700 years ago, we already talked about this, the prophet Isaiah prophesied he predicted that the messiah would be born used the word for a physical birth here's what to look for how do we know when messiah is going to be well first of all he's going to be physically born not going to be an alien that shows up as an adult he's going to come in the world as a baby and isaiah says the child would be born to us then on christmas the angel of the Lord doubles down and shows how that prophecy is fulfilled as the angel follows the script God gave the angel like, it's like the angel goes to the wrong people to congratulate them on the birth. Why didn't the angel go to Joseph and Mary and say, congratulations, you've birthed the Savior? He doesn't go to them. Angel goes to shepherds who don't even know Joseph and Mary. Says, congratulations, you have a son. Now listen, listen. For most men, this would ruin your work day. If you're at work and someone shows up and says, guess what, a baby you didn't know you fathered has been born. If you're married, you're probably not going home. Pastor, you're being a little crass. I'm not meaning, I'm trying to show you the shock of what the story really is. What a weird way. What a weird way. Now, I was physically, let me get this right. I said this wrong the first service, embarrassed myself. I don't want this to be recorded. I was physically present when my wife gave birth to both of our sons. I was physically present. I was in the room with the first. There was a lot of duress and could have gone either way. The second one was lickety split. He just came into the world on his time. He's ready to roll. In neither occasion did people around the, you know, did the attendants and the nurses and doctors, did they start slapping each other high five and say, we've got a baby. No, they congratulated us. I didn't turn to the doctor and say, congratulations. You know, the child has been born to you. That's our baby. Ours. Baby was born to us. We did not call a news conference and congratulate the world on the birth of Chase or Isaiah saying, hey, here he is for all of you. That's our baby. That's not how God announces this. God sends an angel to shepherds and says, unto you a savior is born. That's weird. 
These men are at work, not looking for a, a Savior to be born, not asking for a Savior to be born, not thinking they have any babies that they don't know about, getting ready to be born. And the angel shows up and says, guess what? The thing that you've needed more than anything else, the gift you really need at Christmas, the present you didn't know to ask for, here's what it is. And here, But the angel doesn't say, a baby has been born to you. They didn't need a baby. What did they need? Ooh. Can we just, for this last moment, wrestle with that for a second? Here's what Christmas says. Christmas says what you and I need more than a raise, than a spouse, or a different one than you're married to, more than health, more than beauty, more than a miracle, more than wisdom. What you and I need more than anything else is to be saved. Saved. If that doesn't move the needle, here's why. You don't think you need to be saved. You can take care of you very much. Thank you very much. You don't need God or a baby or anything else or religion to save you. But the first thing that Christmas says to us is congratulations, you're helpless. Good news, great joy. You need to be saved because you are sinking in a pool you can't get out of. You are sinful, you are broken, you are helpless. You and I have sinned against God repeatedly and every time that we've sinned, we need to be and we know that we're broken and we know that we owe God and we know that we can't pay it off and we know that there's something wrong with us and we know that there's something wrong with the world and all of our efforts to try and fix it haven't worked and it leaves us hopeless. But that's not probably what you and I are asking God. We're not saying, God, I recognize I am sinking and I need to be saved. But he says to us, has been born someone to save us. A Savior, Christ, the Lord. You and I can't, we can't swim out of the pool that we have left ourselves in. But the angel breaks in and says, good news, Savior's been born to you. I don't know how else to, to paint the shock of this because I realize we do like a nice, warm, sterile, bright. Listen, next week you're going to see Christmas Eve represented up here through our children. It is going to be sparkly. It is going to be shiny. It is going to be memorable. You're going to video it. We're going to smile. It's going to be bright and clean and sterilized and sanitized and all of that stuff. We're not going to have live animals nipping at an infant. We're not going to have the smells of Christmas. None of it. Just cute little Christmas. And that's wonderful, and it's fun, but it's not exactly how it really was. The first thing the angel says is, if you want to see love at Christmas, you need to see how desperate your plight really is before you appreciate God's love. It would be like me sitting down with my family on Christmas Day and my wife saying to me, you know, Phil, I got a confession to make. I went a little bit above the budget we agreed for each other for Christmas this year, and I know that's not normally something that we do, but she's like, I just, I just want to tell you, after 25 years of marriage, I love you so much, and you would never ask for this for yourself, but I went way above the budget. In fact, um, I emptied out all of our savings accounts and emergency funds, and that, that 20 you've got hidden under the couch, I've always known that it was there. I took that too, but man, when you see this, this is what you really need, and I'm just 
first I'm shocked because I'm like, okay, we have absolutely no future. Um, I don't know how we're going to pay the mortgage next month, but I trust her. She knows me best. She hands me just a small little package and I unwrap it. And I open it and I look at her and what I see are two things. I see, I see a lifetime supply of Rogaine. And I see a lifetime membership to the hair club for men. I'll be honest. I, I, first of all, I'm, I'm disappointed. Second of all, I'm, if I'm, I'm offended. Because in this gift that she's saying is loving, I'm saying, but this is an indictment about me. It's saying there's a problem here that you can't fix no matter how hard you try, and what you really need, you would have never asked for, but I went ahead and paid for it. It was the exact same time in the last serve. I'm not even kidding you. Who was in here that someone's alarm went off the exact same time? And so I said to myself, I'm gonna cut some out and be done. And I'm five minutes ahead of where I was at the last service in the same spot. Worship team, come on up. <laughs> I get it, Jesus. We're on the, come on up, worship. No, I'm serious. Come on up. It'll make me end the sermon. Or was I? Rogaine. Um, I would have never asked for that. In fact, I'd be offended. You mean to tell me on this holiday of love, you're trying to cover up something that has been a big, huge issue in my life that I'd rather, I'm totally insecure about it, and that's the thing you're going to go after at great expense? Now, can we make the leap into the story a little bit here? This is what God, in a, in a very, very different way, is saying through the angel to the shepherds and to all of us. Here's what you need more than anything else. You need to deal with the sin. And you can't. In fact, that's why the message of the gospel and even the message of Christmas, the Bible tells us, is offensive. Because the very first thing you and I have to come to is this. I am a sinner. I am broken. I deserve punishment. I have no ability to repay God even if I wanted to. Love is not God sweeping sins under the rug. Love is God saying, you broke the window, but I'm gonna pay for it. Out of my own pocket. All forgiveness involves self-sacrifice. All of it. If you walk past my car after service, please don't do this because someone has already done this, but if you walk past my car after service with a key in your pocket and you scratch the whole side of my car and I watch you do it and you turn around and you realize what happened, you can come to me and be like, Pastor Phil, I am so sorry. I have scratched, I've put a second racing stripe across your car. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I will pay. I will pay to have it repaired. Now, I have a choice at that point. I can say, I forgive you, and you better believe it. You are paying for that. Or I can say, you know what? I forgive you. You don't owe me any money. I'll take care of it. Someone's going to pay for the offense. The type of forgiveness is not just saying the debt didn't happen. Forgiveness is I will cancel the debt, and it will cost me in order to clear the account. That's what forgiveness is. There is no forgiveness. There is no love without. There is no godly love without self-sacrifice. Godly love means I'm not looking for even trade value. I'll take the loss every time. But that's what it means. 
because I'm not trying to balance the books. What, Jesus, what God did through Jesus is he said, listen, you broke the window, you sinned. There's a debt here. I have to be just, so that doesn't mean I can just acquit you. I have to be just. I can't, my settled opposition to your sin, which is God's wrath, my settled opposition to your sin is that it deserves punishment. But I'll pay the bill through my son. I'll pay the bill. That is forgiveness. That is love. Jesus was born into this world because we needed a savior, not a baby, not a mascot, not a great motivational speaker. We didn't need a teacher. We needed a savior. And God sent him knowing we didn't ask, we didn't deserve. Even what they asked God for in a Messiah, when Jesus didn't fit that bill, they crucified him. We want a king, we want a ruler, we want a political leader, we want a military activist. We don't need a savior. Not that kind. And yet he did it anyway. Why? He loves you. He loves you. He loves and he loves and he loves and he loves and he loves. And I rolled into a, I've had to go into a car dealership a few times in my life. I don't, I don't enjoy it. Some of you love it. It's a great afternoon for you. I don't have anything else to do. Let me just go down and see what kind of a deal I could get and then walk away. That's, that's not my idea of fun. I've had at times the unfortunate assignment of trading in my car. Last time I went in there to trade in my old car for a newer one. I said, well, we can give you $1,000. I'm like, you're going to give me $1,000 and take my car and I can drive home a new one? Like, but you still need to pay the difference. I'm like, oh, that's not as good of a deal. Why? The dealer, well, let's be honest, they didn't want an even deal. They wanted the better end of the deal. You see the deal that God makes with us? Here's the paradox of all this. God's love is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Well, how do I open it? Exchange. What? You just said that gifts and exchanges aren't the same thing. You're right. But here's the paradox of the Bible. God's gift of salvation cost us nothing. We are not obligated to have to buy it or earn it because we can't. It is given freely to us. How you accept and receive that gift is only by exchange. You must give up your life. You must give him that $1,000 old broken down Honda Pilot. Because you can't walk out of there with two lives. Here's what God is saying. Like, listen, I know you're thinking, my trade-in is not equal value. Exactly. God's not getting the better end of the deal here. Well, he thinks he is. Have you let that settle in for a second? God had the choice. Keep his son in heaven or you. The possibility of you. You know what he picked? You. If you'll stare at that, it will melt you. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Salvation's available to you for free. But you have to exchange you have to say, I'm laying down the way I live right now. My selfish, sinful, broken life. I have to lay it down. I have to lay it down. Here's what the exchange sounds like. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's the exchange. You've got to lay down the old life for a new one. 
Galatians 2. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the exchange you have to make. I'm going to exchange my old broken down life for the new one. Was it my own broken down life and a bunch of good behavior? Will that even out the deal? No, just your life for his. He can't give you what's in his hand until you let go of what's in yours. So are you ready to make that exchange today? You know you're a sinner. You're ready to lay down your old way of living. You're ready to surrender to God's way of living. You're ready to take on the life of Jesus within you. Because you know he can save you and he will save you if you ask. If that's what you're ready for, can I invite you? Just tell God that right now and he'll save you right here, right now. Right here, right now. Instantaneously, he will save you. Just share that with him. If you need some help, here's a, here's a guideline. Jesus, I'm having an experience with your love today. It is melting me and it is breaking me. I'm not keeping you at arm's length anymore. I see how relentless and aggressive you are with your love for me, how you value me in a way I don't even understand. You've given to me and I have been resisting you, but today that's all changing. You have broken through in my heart and my life today. So today, here's what I'm saying. I need to be saved. You can save me. Will you save me? I'm asking with confidence and know that you will. Forgive me for my sins. I'm laying down my old life today. I'm laying it down. And I'm taking you up on your offer to exchange my broken life, Jesus, for yours. Come live inside of me and begin this process of making me like you that begins in this moment right now. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Listen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.